Today's Bible study is called Trying versus Walking. Trying versus Walking. And it's, uh, it, I'm very, very excited about what the Lord has for us today. So let's go ahead and pray because there's no way that we can understand these verses or learn the things that God has for us without His Spirit teaching us. So let's ask Him to do that. Jesus, we, we, we pray, Lord, that You would teach us. We pray Your Spirit would come upon us and, Lord, we would learn. Even if I spoke just the most simple words, Lord God, Your Spirit would teach us the deep things of Your love and, and about You, Jesus. And we, we ask this to be a spiritual time right now where, where we truly are filled with something deeper than what we can see, something more powerful than what we know. Lord God, your fullness. Let us, let us be filled with your fullness, Father. We ask this simply, in Jesus' name and according to your will. Amen. All right, I'm going to read first uh, from 1 John chapter 2, or chapter 1. No, chapter 2. I'm going to read 1 John chapter 2, verse 3 through 6. And this is just to give us some framework of what we're going to study today. It says, Now by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word... Truly, the love of God is perfected in him, and by this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself to walk just as he walked. I found this on on Yahoo Answers. I I sometimes peruse the questions and I search kind of some stuff on Yahoo Answers, and this one was actually a girl from Brighton, Colorado. And uh, not often do you find things from close to you, but this was from Brighton, this young girl. Her, the post of her question was this. How do I change myself? I want to be a good Christian. Then she gets to kind of explain her question right here. She says, I believe in God, and I really want to change. Me and my best guy friend have been talking and stuff, and we are probably going to date. But I'm a terrible person, to be honest. I want to change, not for him, but for myself. I've, ha- I've been making some terrible mistakes lately. I drink, I do drugs, I party a lot, I have sex a lot. I want to stop, and it hurts me that I, I do this stuff, but every time I picture myself changing, I feel like it's impossible I really do want to stop doing all this and start going to church and stuff and be a good person. Problem is, it's just not that simple. How do I motivate myself more? Well, the first response was by a guy. He said, pay someone $15 an hour to follow you around and slap you when you're about to do something stupid. Now, that may have some merit, but what really broke my heart, I mean, really, I was, I was devastated, was the responses that followed this young girl. Because 90 percent of, of them could be summed up by two words. What do you think they were? Oh, my gosh. You guys are geniuses. you or, you've been taught very well. Yes, try harder. Oh, that, was, that made my day. We can all go home. We can all go home. That was amazing. Try harder. Or as Nike would say, just do it. You want to be a Christian? Just do it. Here, here's example number one. I'm going to give you guys three examples of, of responses to this poor young girl. This is, I'm quoting their response. Remember that you cannot become sinless unless you at least try to stay away from it. Go to church every Sunday, pray every day, read the Bible every day. This answer is saying that in order for you to become sinless, you need to try and keep a set of rules. So this person is well-meaning. 
They're saying good things, but they're actually giving terrible advice. They're telling this young girl, what you need is the Old Covenant. What you need is the Ten Commandments. And try to keep those. Or try to keep some new ones. But the problem is, Jesus specifically said that this does not work to make someone sinless. In Hebrews 7.19, where we learn, For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is a bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. The law, trying to keep a set of rules, even rules as good as pray, read your Bible, go to church, even those rules, they don't make anything perfect, and they certainly don't make perfect people. So that was example number one, a well-meaning person, but saying, you know what, what you need is the old covenant. Example number two, this is quoting this person. Simply do your fair share and make the required sincere covenant with the Father that you will always obey all of Jesus' sayings. See, they don't understand that the covenant, the covenant that they're talking about, there is no fair share of the new covenant. Because what is the new covenant? Jesus says... I will do everything, and you believe. That would be our fair share. Believe and trust in him. He does the work. He does the work. When he died on the cross, he said, It is almost finished. No. He said, It's done. The work is done. Not just your sin is washed away. The work for your life is done. And you enter into this by believing. In Romans chapter 9, verse 30 through 33, I'll read it to you. He says, What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. In other words, they have not become sinless they're not living right, these Jews who were trying to keep these set of rules. Verse 32, why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law. For they stumbled at the stumbling stone as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. So, biblically, the harder you try to keep a set of rules, the less success you will have in actually being righteous. The harder you try, the more rules you put on yourself, the less success you have. And it's so freeing to learn this and to understand it. But it's also kind of offensive what do you mean, I, I can't do it? I'll never be able to do it. And that's how the Jews felt. We've been trying for thousands of years to keep these rules. And what do you mean? We just need to scrap the whole system. And Jesus is like, yes, scrap the whole system. Just follow me and I will make you righteous. Let's look now at example number three. So example was two is just try harder to keep a set of rules. Number three, quoting again, no one can tell you how to change. Only you can change yourself. If you really wanted to change, you would. And when I read that, it, it, it literally broke my heart. Because the underlying message being communicated to this poor young girl who is trapped in sin is that no one can really be good unless they try really, really hard and really, really want it. And so you must not really want it. And they know nothing about this girl. They don't know how bad she wants it. In fact, if you remember her quote, she said, I really want to change. It's not about how much someone wants it. And it's so cruel for this person to say, 
If you want to change, if you if you want to change, you just gotta really want it. Paul has given us three chapters of doctrine that we've studied since we've become a church. We've been looking at these first three chapters, three chapters of sitting and learning about all that God has done for us, all about his grace and his love, all about his works and his power given to every person in the church for free. He did it that way on purpose, because as you draw near to the Lord and abide with him, learning about him and growing to love him, it will produce the life that is about to be described in the practical section of the book of Ephesians. We're about to get into chapters 4 through 6, which is called the practical section. It's going to have a lot of really, this is the way life should look, and this is what we should be doing. But we have to understand that those first three chapters were not given they, they are not three chapters about what God has done for you, and then we get three chapters of what you need to do for God to pay Him back or to make Him happy. His three chapters do not change. He already loves you. He already chose you. He's already forgiven and redeemed you. Living a godly life does not make any of these things happen more or less. You are already. In fact, on the contrary, we are given three chapters of what God has done and the three chapters of what believing in that will produce in our lives. It's a description of the life and not a law to keep. It's an unfolding of what grace produces in our daily experience and not a new and more difficult standard for you to keep and strive to perform and produce in your own efforts and resources. Think about it. If you could keep the law by trying harder before you believed, before you were a Christian, if we couldn't keep the law then, if we couldn't, then what makes us think that any of our resources internally have changed? They haven't. Your flesh is still your flesh. Your flesh is still an enemy of God and still desires to rebel against dependence upon Him. We still think, I got this, I got this, I got this. And we don't. No more than the day we cried out to Him to save us. But now, when we believe in the first three chapters described in this book, when we believe in all that Jesus has done for us, We are given His Holy Spirit, which produces all that we need or desire by faith. Not working for it, by faith. Asking and believing that He will give it. And you say, "Ah, I don't like asking and I don't like believing because I can't control those things. And yes, that's true. But that's still the way it works. God will get you to like asking and believing. He will overcome your doubts. So, with all that as foundation, and that's like the longest introduction in the history of my sermons, knowing that it's not by works that a godly life is produced, but it's by faith, I, I, with trembling, I, I think we can now read our first verse. Understanding that it's not by works, but it's by faith. Paul says, chapter 1, verse 4. Chapter 4, verse 1. (laughs) Ha ha, tricked you. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Paul, he says, you know, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. You guys know how I'm writing you. And so I beseech you. Now, how many of you have used the word beseech in the last week? Nobody? We need to bring back these King James words. Come on. No, I, I had no idea what it meant when I first read it because we don't use that word. And so we need to define it and understand what it means because when I first read it, my, my understanding, my flesh immediately goes back to, okay, Paul is saying now, I command you to walk worthy. I command you to put all your effort in now that you believe. You've been 
learning all this doctrine. Now you get up off your bum and start working for the Lord. But that's not what it means. Beseech means invite, encourage, exhort, or strengthen. It has the idea of walking next to someone. So he's saying, since all this doctrine is true, since these three chapters we've been reading about all God's love and all God's power, since all that's true, since Jesus loves you and has redeemed you and then loved you some more, I invite you to walk in that. Walk in him. Walk in the reality of his actions or what I could call the realities of the new covenant. Walk. When I invite my wife to come on a walk with me, I hope that she's not thinking that it's going to be really hard to try to please me. Like, okay, babe, I got the plane tickets and I purchased to Nepal and the Sherpa scheduled and the llama packed with everything but the kitchen sink and I have the food packed and I did some push-ups to get my blood pumping and I'm ready to go for a walk with you because I know it's probably in Mount Everest. It's going to be difficult and hard. When I just really wanted to be with her and enjoy her company as we go and get the mail. And it's interesting because it was never about where we were going. In fact, we end up right where we started. So what was accomplished when we went for a little walk? What was accomplished? So, so much. We didn't go somewhere But so much was accomplished because as we walk, I can share with her my heart. I can listen to her thoughts and dreams and fears and couponing. And we grow as a couple. We grow in love and in relationship and in unity and in understanding. We grow. We don't walk worthy so that God will love us, but because he's loved us. We walk with him. <laughs> when you're walking with someone, did you know that your, your steps naturally start to line up with their steps? If you're walking, holding hands with your girlfriend, you're, it just naturally works out that way. You know? And you, don't, you just don't see some girl just walking and the guy just being all goofy, walking around because they're not walking, he's not walking worthy with her. He's not walking according to how she's walking. And as we walk with the Lord, our steps just begin to line up with His. And it's not difficult. It's not a burden. Well, he, Paul says, I invite you to walk worthy of this calling. The calling. How did He call you? How did the Lord call you? He called you with love. He called you with grace. He said, I love you and I know you don't have the resources to walk the right way, but I'll give you the grace. And I know you don't love right now, but I'll give you the love. Did it ever say in the Bible, you need to earn your salvation or my grace? Never. He's not saying, nor will he ever say, you need to live up to the standards of the law and everything else I'm about to explain in the the practical section of this book. These aren't a new standard for us to live up to. Because we're going to read some things, you're going to be like, wow, that is some intense descriptions of what a godly person looks like. But it's not a new standard. I want to keep you guys free from standards because we're free from the law. Don't ever let this become a standard that you're trying to reach. Let it be a description of where you're walking. How you're walking. And there's a big difference to that because how do you walk harder? You know, you see the ladies out there as you're driving down the road and they're doing their, their super fast walking, right? Their, their extra walk. I don't know, what's that called? Power walking. I, you're experienced, I see. All right. Well, I'm not making fun. It's just funny. So... You see them out there and you're like, that's not natural. That's not how someone walks. And, and, and the same is for us. We don't need to run. We don't need to make this about our efforts and trying to make a destination and 
fast your time. It's about just, in your day, walking with the Lord. Everything you do, doing it with the Lord. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself here. Slow down. He's never saying this is a standard. We don't need to earn what was already bought for us on the cross. Like he's some sort of grace broker that wants to cut off the top. Like, I I bought everything for you on the cross, but I'll sell it to you. No, he already owns it, and he wants to give it to his children for free. All his grace. So he's not saying this is required for getting chapters 1 through 3. 1 through 3 talks about how much I love you, how much I've done for you. This walking this way isn't required for getting that. Although we could say this worthy life, this worthy walk, proves and demonstrates that chapters 1 through 3 are real in your heart. And if you want to see more of this life we're about to read of flowing in your life and and then spend more time learning of Jesus and walking with him, praying about his love and his calling, thinking about his grace and his gifts, thinking about him and his righteousness and his power freely given to you, all the things of chapters 1 through 3. If you want to see 4 through 6 happen, spend time in 1 through 3 with the Lord. Then you will find yourself walking and you'll discover life just flowing. And and when you hear Paul's invitation to walk in this calling, you will be like, yeah, that's exactly what I'm doing. Or that sounds exactly like how I'm thinking right now. This isn't another trip. It's not another law. It's not another rule to keep. It's a description of what's going on in my heart and thus being played out in my life. Now let's look at Paul's description of this wonderful life, this victorious Christian life, this life illustrated by the promised land in the Old Testament, this life that is flowing into and out of you and me and every other believer in Jesus Christ. He says in verse 2, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering and bearing with one another in love. He says this life will be with all lowliness. The first thing that walking with Jesus, the first step that we take with Him that will be lined up with His steps is a growing humility. Pride can never dominate when we are consistently looking at the cross, abiding in His doctrine by looking at the cross. Lowliness is a despised virtue in our culture and in our flesh. Your flesh is like, I don't want to be lowly. What are you talking about? So naturally, as we walk in the Spirit, we will see a desire to be less. A desire to shift all the attention to Jesus. As John the Baptist said, He must increase and I must decrease. Here's a quote from Maya Angelou. She passed away this week. And so I I looked up a quote from her that had to do with humility. And she says, I realized that I didn't get here by myself. I'm a child of God. And that's a blessing because I know, because I have been blessed of God and, and the knowledge that I have no modesty. I have no modesty because it's a learned adaptation. People are just fooling themselves and trying to fool other people when they say, Oh, me? Oh, I'm modest. I can't do this. She says, I have no modesty. I have humility. Humility comes from the inside out and says, someone was here before me and someone has already paid for me. I have a responsibility to pay for someone else who is yet to come. There is no room in here for ego. I am grateful to God. So, she she had a great understanding of humility. Not that false humility that says, Oh, me? I can't do anything. And, and I'm, that's just not what the Lord means when he says humility. I remember a conversation I had with Pastor Ed a few months ago when I was talking with him about being a senior pastor someday. And I was like, I don't know if I am able. And I just don't know if I've got, you know. And he's like, stop it. And I was like, whoa. And he's like, do you struggle with false humility? I said, I don't know. And he said, because your gift, these are your gifts. And for you to say that I don't know if God can use me in that 
is a false humility. A true humility says, Christ paid for me. And he's paid for these gifts. And he's given me these gifts. So I'm going to pour them out with all my heart. I'm going to give all my life over to these things that God has gifted me in. And it was a big change in my life. It was a big change for me thinking, you know, God just wants me to be on my face. And and that's true. But God just, you know, I don't know how much he could use me. And I just got to worry about it and doubt what he could do to being confident in him and what he's bought for me. It was a big change in my life. So this humility, when we're walking with Jesus, it's loneliness. And, and he says, all loneliness. It means that every time we have to make a choice, we choose loneliness. Every time. Every time. Jesus doesn't just want to walk with us when it's convenient. He wants to walk with us every moment, right? And so every time we've got to pick the humble response, pick the humble side in the argument, pick it. And when we don't, we're going to see struggles and, and conflicts arise and get, get deeper and, and tougher. And it's so important for us to learn that every time we don't get a, a break from walking with Jesus, it's every time. And he says also, not only all lowliness, but number two, all gentleness. The second life attribute or fruit that will be seen when a person is walking with Jesus is gentleness. Not a pushy desire to defend our own rights and advance our own agenda, but a caring and thoughtful desire to see others be blessed. The people that were answering that young girl earlier in our, in our Yahoo girl, we'll just call her the Yahoo girl, uh, they did not excel in gentleness. Gentleness does not demand that someone just do it or just try harder. Demanding that someone keep the law without explaining the way to keep the law is a definition of harshness to me. How I would define harshness is saying to a baby, get up and clean your room when they can't even crawl yet. And then getting out the spanking spoon and spanking them on the butt when they fail because they're a baby. What cruelty would that be? Yet pastors and good-meaning Christians all over the world and Yahoo responders do just that when they tell someone, you just got to try a little harder. They don't understand. They are giving a false gospel. They're, they're just being cruel because that little girl, that poor girl who's struggling in so much sin, she said, I'm trying. And what she hears when she hears someone say, try harder, is you're not good enough. You're not good enough. And that's not the message of Jesus. Jesus says, I know you're not good enough, but I will give you everything you need. I will give it to you. I will provide it for you because you're worth it. You're worth it to me. I'm not going to leave you an orphan struggling on your own to try to overcome sin. I will take care of the sin for you if you believe me and trust me. Believe me and trust me. That's what Jesus says. Instead of degrading her value by saying, you're not trying hard enough, he exalts her value by saying, you're worth my efforts. You're worth my works. And it's a completely different message that would make her feel totally different. But gentleness gets lost. Then we come to long-suffering. When when you're walking with Jesus, you become patient with those around you. These are the first things that walking with Jesus produces Patient with those who fail. Many zealous new believers are not very patient with the failures and shortcomings of 
fellow believers in the church. But as you walk with him and you become acquainted with his ways, you start to really understand what it means that the kindness of God leads to repentance. We don't demand that people change, saying, I just got saved and you're still struggling with smoking weed, or I just got saved and look how good I've changed over the past week. Look how much I've changed. You guys should be twice as good as me, but when we have long-suffering, we don't demand people change. We invite them, as we grow in the Lord, we invite them to walk in peace with God. We invite them to walk worthy, to walk with God. And if they don't, we pray. And we invite them again. We, like Paul, beseech them. We encourage them. We say, hey, bro, I've seen that you've been failing in this area. And, and you know, I don't think that's really how the Lord walks. And we're walking with the Lord, so let's walk together. And then they fail again. We don't get angry and say, why would you mess up again, baby? Why didn't you get up and clean your room, baby? No, we, we invite them and say, here, let me pick you up. And in love, let me invite you and walk with you and carry you on in long-suffering. Then we share with them the truth of God's love and God's power given to them. We, we minister to them. We serve them. Because young believers, so many of them are at a loss when they see others sinning. They look around the church and they're like, this isn't much better than the world. And so they revert back to the flesh, to the things that they know, and they try to rally the troops to honor God, or even coerce them to do what's right, or try to convince them, or force them. So you guys have to change, you have to change. And all of these are impatient works of the flesh. Because John says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So get this, any time that you force someone to change, or any time you coerce or convince someone to change in their own strength, what you've done is you've started a work in the flesh. And that work then must be maintained in the flesh, and it wasn't by the Spirit. And so, no matter how hard they try, and even if they have success for a day or a week or a month or a year, it wasn't by the Spirit and they will fall. They will fail, and that's why it's so important that we minister in the Spirit. That when we invite someone to walk with the Lord, we don't say, you have to do this. But we say, come do this with me. Come honor the Lord. I invite you. Let's walk with the Lord if you want to. It's awesome. It's wonderful if you want to. Well, I don't want to right now. Well, can we pray about that? Let's pray about it. Then you pray with them. And you say, Jesus, I pray you change my heart and my desire. Lord, I repent of my sin because I don't really want to do this good thing. And you say, Amen. And see what happens. See what happens. Test me. Test the spirits. See if the spirit isn't able to change someone. Because I promise you, he is. And the change that the spirit brings never fails. It always works. So then he says that we're to bear with one another in love. To bear is to hold someone up. Chrysostom, John Chrysostom was uh, this second century pastor. He was the bishop in, in uh, uh, Antioch. He was an awesome guy. He was called, Chrysostom means golden tongue because his sermons were so powerful and wonderful. He described this as the spirit that has the power to take revenge but doesn't. And it's a characteristic of a forgiving and generous heart. It's not, just, it's not that Christians just bear with one, with one another and like, well, this guy comes every week and he's kind of a pain, but I just bear with him. No, it's, it's a different description. It's that they hold each other up in love. And the best example of this is from the book of Exodus, chapter 17. So if you turn with me over to the book of Exodus, chapter 17, we're going to see Moses in Exodus 17 and, and 
this battle with the Amalekites. It's an awesome, awesome picture for us about how to hold up someone, how to bear with someone in love. As you're walking with Jesus, and as you guys are turning to Exodus 17, you're walking with Jesus. You're walking with Jesus. These people next to you are failing left and right. You're growing in patience. You're, you're just being patient with them. And hey, let's pray, let's pray. And sometimes one of them just really needs help. One of them just really needs you to serve them and minister to them. And that's what happens here. Exodus chapter 17, let's start at verse 8. So now, it says, Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said and to him, and he fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But when Moses' hands became heavy, so, so they took a stone and put it under him, and, they, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And so Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And Lord said to Moses, write this for memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua, and I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. This is awesome. Amalek is a picture of the flesh. Amalek is a picture of the flesh. And everyone has a battle with the flesh, don't they? You all in here have your flesh. I think most of you have the Spirit. Maybe all of you. Where you've asked Jesus to save you and so you've been given the Spirit. And so you have this war happening between the Spirit and the flesh. And that's where these guys are at right now. And that's where as you're walking along with Jesus, you may have a buddy that's right next to you that is really battling with his flesh or her flesh. And the way, like, like this girl, I don't know if this girl knew Jesus or not, but let's say she did. And let's say she's like, I'm drinking, I'm smoking, I'm having sex. And you're like, well, that doesn't sound like a Christian, so you need to get saved. So maybe she gets saved, but she's still struggling with it. She's still struggling. She's like, I still have these desires. Then where is that coming from? Is that coming from her spirit? No. Is it coming from her flesh? Yes. And so there's this battle that we need to inform, inform her of. And, you know, she's going to do symbolically. She's going to be like Moses up there. And when she raises her hand and lifts her hands to God in dependence and in trust and in belief, she'll have victory over those things. But what happens? She gets tired. She gets tired. And she starts to fail. And Amalek, her flesh, starts to have victory. And she goes out and sleeps with another guy. Or she goes out and gets drunk again. And she's like, oh, what do I do now? And you say, lift up those arms again. And she does. And the Lord gives her victory again. He always will. Always. But then she gets tired. She gets tired. And she falls down. And she's having victory. And you say, I'm out of here. No. Like Aaron and her, what did they do? They, they get a rock and they serve her. They, they serve him. They put the rock under Moses and, and they let him sit, giving him rest, taking care of the other things. Maybe you go wash their car. Maybe you go give them a ride somewhere. Maybe you just give, wash their, watch their kids so they just have a time to think. You serve them. And then, then, here comes the dirty part. Here comes the part where walking with Jesus is kind of stinky. You get up under there and you're holding up his arm, right? And this was before deodorant was invented. And Moses, he's like this and he's sweating. And the smell. And, and where, if you're holding up someone's arm, where is your face? Right there. 
It's just awful. And it's just, oh, man, Moses, come on. How long were you up on that mountain? Forty? Yeah, it smells like that. Forty days? Well, Aaron and her, man, they bore with one another. Bore, bear with one another with love. That's what Paul exhorts us to do. Aaron and her, a perfect example for us of how to bear with them. Sometimes it gets us in a really uncomfortable situation. But it's possible when you love that person. Instead of being impatient with the failings of our brothers and sisters, we can love and we can serve them, hold up their hands, which means what? In this battle between their flesh and their spirit, how can you hold up someone's hand? It means helping them to trust the Lord. Saying, hey, I know you're struggling right now, but God loves you. His death on the cross paid for what you just did. Come back with me. Let me hold up your hand. Let's, let's look to God together. Let's depend on Him. Let's trust Him. Let's pray and see what He does. And it will not fail. Oh, but maybe I should change all my friends and change my life. Maybe. But that's not where victory comes from. It comes from the cross. Maybe you do need to quit your job. I don't know. Maybe you don't. Maybe God, for sure, not maybe, God is the only source of victory. And as we lift our hands, as Moses did, and we help each other to lift our hands, victory over our flesh will come, and you will find that your life starts to look like how it's supposed to, how we know it's supposed to, how it's described here. But maybe you're saying, I wouldn't do that. I don't have that kind of love in me for my family or my friends or my brothers or sisters. I'm kind of impatient and I'm kind of... I don't care, honestly. How can I change and become loving? Well, you try hard. Where's the tomatoes, guys? No. Say, boo. It's not about trying hard. You walk with Jesus. Walk with Jesus. Walk with Jesus. Let me rephrase this question. How can I change and become loving? How can I be more fruitful? Well, to get a plant to become more fruitful, it's pretty simple. You water it and prune it. And walking with Jesus is like that. He said in John, I am the vine and you're the branches. So you're a plant. This is a good illustration. I didn't just make it up. And so if you abide in him or walk with him, you will bear much fruit, John 15 says. So we want to walk with him. We want to bear much fruit. And that looks like two ways. Number one, to get a plant to grow, we water it. And we're walking with Jesus. We are watering ourselves. So we're getting water. The water of what? The word of God. In Ephesians 5.26, we're going to see, it says that the husband is to sanctify and cleanse his wife with the water of the, washing of the water of the word. And as we walk with Jesus, he's cons- we're just reading the Bible and he's constantly washing us and, and constantly giving us water to our souls. Even if you're reading in Leviticus and you have, I have no idea what I just read and it had all these things and it doesn't matter because you were watered. Your spiritual plant's life was watered. And that's why being in the Word is so important. And that's why it's such an important part of walking with Jesus. And someone says, yeah, I w- I'm walking with Jesus. And you, how much you, are you reading your Bible? And they're like, no. And I'm like, you're not walking with Jesus. You need to walk with Jesus. Walk with Jesus. Walk with Jesus. He waters you. He cares for you, and so he will water you. But how does he know where I'm going to read? I don't know. But anywhere you read... In his word, he will water you. Does that mean this is a magic book and the words are somehow magic? No. It means he is a faithful God who is faithful to his word. And when you spend time in his word, he will faithfully pour out his spirit into your heart. That's why this book is different than anything else in the world. Any other book, any other philosophy, nothing touches this. Because God said, I value my word above my name. And I will honor it. If you spend time in this, 
I will water you. I will pour out my spirit into you. But then the second one, so when you're walking with Jesus, when your plant is just growing, walking with Jesus, he prunes it. Ah, this is the one that's not too fun. I don't think any plant likes to be pruned. In 1 Peter 2, 21, he says, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. So walking with him, walking in his steps, is going to involve pruning. Him cutting off things, things that are painful. And the danger for us today is this. I'm afraid that some of us might hear what I'm talking about and then go home and think, okay, I need to walk with Jesus. So I'm going to take out my Bible. I'm going to take it everywhere I go. I'm going to listen to only Christian music and really put everything I have into walking with Jesus. In fact, walking is for wimps. I'm going to run. I'm going to get up at 4 a.m. and read till my eyes bleed. And I'm going to sing till my voice is raw. And I'm going to go all out for Jesus and tell everyone I meet about him and go crazy, be one of those crazy Christian Bible thumpers. And not that any of those things are bad when they are done in the Spirit. When they are byproducts of walking with Him by faith. And here's the thing. Many of those things don't, aren't real in someone's life until you've suffered. Until you've suffered. That's when it's real when you talk to someone on the bus and say, man, God can help you through that. Well, how do you know? Because my pastor told me, well, I don't care. But when they say, how do you know? And you say, because I have been through the depths of hell and suffering. I have suffered. I have hurt. I have been betrayed and backstabbed. And God was faithful and God rescued me out of it. And, man, just yesterday, I was holding this guy's arm up. And his, I was right there in the pits. I was right there and I suffered in love. And stranger on the bus, I'm willing to do it for you too. I'm willing to suffer for you. I'm willing to be pruned. Because walking with Jesus is not just about the, lo- about the, the watering. It's about the pruning. So that these fruits can happen. And as... In Colossians 2.6, it says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. How did you receive Jesus? You just believed. You heard the message of His word and you believed. Someone said, hey, Jesus died for you on the cross, and you said, done. I'm, I'm good with that. You believed. How do you raise up your hands like Moses did? You believe. Say, I'm not going to fight this battle in my own strength. I'm going I'm to stand here and watch the Lord work. So how do we walk with Him? How do we walk in Him? As it says here in Colossians 2.6, we believe, we read His Word and hear His Word and hear His Word and believe what His Word is telling us. I'm going to ask you a question that's going to show you how difficult it is and how high the standards are God, that God has for His children. This, is, this question is going to show you how hard what God is asking you to do. Can you believe me when I say something? If you can, great. That's what I want you to do. If you can't, okay. We'll go from there. Can you trust Him? Can you trust that God is going to do all the work in your life to make you humble and gentle and long-suffering and loving. Jesus asks you to trust His way. He asks you to believe in His words. He begs you to stay with Him. Is it hard to trust in Him? Is it a bummer to believe in Him? Is it difficult to stay with Him? Is walking with Him 
even close to as hard as trying to keep the rules in the Old Testament? The answer is no. Walking with him is a joy and a blessing. And he says in Matthew 11, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, all you guys who have been trying to perfect yourself by keeping the rules, and all you people who have been trying to keep the old covenant and all those rules. He says, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Which is exactly what Paul said we would become. And he says, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You guys will all find, every single one of you, that it is not a burden. It is not difficult to walk with Jesus. It is rest. It is a blessing. It is wonderful. It is a joy to walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. He is a bread giver. He is a light to the world. He is a healer to our, our hurt. He is a savior for everything we need saved from. He, is, he brings freedom. He, he frees us in, from thinking that we have to meet some requirement to be his follower. And he allows us to just walk with him as his beloved. It's awesome to walk with Jesus. For Moses, walking with Jesus was just standing, even sitting. That's what it looked like for him. And just looking to the Lord. That's how easy walking with the Lord is. It's the lightest burden you could ever imagine. And I think the biggest misunderstanding the world has with the church is that we are going to tell them when they come in here to cut their hair and to cover up their tattoos and change their clothes and change all their friends and their life. And sadly, many churches do. And they're, I call them Old Covenant churches. Churches that have missed the whole point. Will someone change when they come to Jesus? Yes. How? By walking with Him. Not trying. By walking with Him. They might cover up something. They might not cover up something. I don't really care. My job is to serve them. To put a rock under them so that they have a solid foundation. To hold up their hands in love. And patiently, humbly, Serve them. 